The first thing I'm going to say may shock you, which is that I think that Francis Bacon uh, would probably be horrified to find me speaking on his behalf. Uh, I only knew him very slightly. I knew him through the Gampel family of art dealers who occasionally gave parties at which he was to be discovered, charging up and down like a rather angry elephant, demanding champagne. He demanded champagne so much they eventually stopped asking him. And whenever I had any even glancing encounter with him on these occasions, he was invariably rude to me. I was far too uh, middle class, far too, uh, as he thought, up myself, uh, to be at all the kind of person he thought he was going to like. In fact, I was the kind of person who was going to be completely out of place uh, in his favorite haunt, the Colony Club in Soho. I'm not that kind of bohemian. Well, once we've got that away, one can perhaps begin to say something about the nature of Francis Bacon's position in art and why he might be considered um, one of the few really important artists of his period. Uh, the first thing to be absolutely clear about is that Francis, in the context of his time, and in fact in most contexts, had two absolutely crying disadvantages, not one. The first, of course, was that he was a homosexual in a period when homosexuals were persecuted and persecuted lawfully. Uh, the second was that he was entirely self-taught as an artist. Uh, he learnt by example, by looking at other people. He learnt because he wanted to make works of art. He had no technical formation of any sort. Even less uh, formation than his on and off friend, Lucien Freud. And yet, their reputations are the two great survivors in the British art of their period. That is, following the first modernists, the Henry Moores, the Barbara Hepworths, it's they nowadays who are talked about, thought about, disputed about, Francis Bacon in particular. Well, I think one of uh, Francis Bacon's problems, because of his lack of technical formation, was that he was never, ever certain of himself, never certain of his position as an artist. We know that he constantly experimented. We know that he destroyed a great deal of work. We know from the new catalogue Rossoni of the paintings that have just come out that there was a great deal more work which he ought to have destroyed, which drifted into the hands of friends, which was given away to other painters to paint on top of, and there it is, and my goodness, from the examples I've seen so far of the unknowns, they're largely rubbish. Uh, and I think Francis would, on this occasion, uh, have found himself on the same side as I am. Uh, so one has to ask oneself about the drawings, because drawings were something he fiercely denied in public ever making. He always wanted to leave the impression that he stood in front of the canvas, that something wonderful happened, and the image appeared. Well, there's plenty of evidence that, he that that wasn't what happened at all. 
Um, a great many of the surviving drawings, if you can call them such, are studies made on top of photographs. And a number of these, uh, which went to a man who was Bacon Stephen Fetchett, as I always called him, Barry Jewell, finished up through Barry Jewell's generosity in the Tate, where they occupy a kind of limbo as study materials, never quite accepted as work of art. Locked on to some of the drawings in this series, in particular a series of boxers uh, made on top of 1940s photographs of boxing, boxing matches, there is another series um, which came to the Tate via the Marlborough Gallery, in this case, Francis' dealers, uh, from a man called John Danquois. And John Danquois was the son of the founding president of the Republic of Ghana. Um, he was half, um, half white, half black. And, for a long, and he was also gay like Francis. And for a long period, they actually shared a house, though they were never lovers. But they shared a flat overlooking Battersea Park. And later on, Francis used to make frequent visits to Danquois and his partner in Tangiers. Well, this series of drawings of the boxes locks on to a series in the jewel, uh, in the jewel holding. There's absolutely no, uh, there's absolutely no doubt that the two are completely linked. Well, that series was accepted by the Tate and actually exhibited as Act Bacon before all the controversy about the drawings broke out. And there are other scattered drawings which also have impeccable uh, provenances, which were drawings made on the fly leaves of books, some drawings given to friends, some drawings indeed given to Italian restaurateurs when Bacon made a great fuss in their restaurants and he wanted to put to go out the first down. This particular series, I think, the series of which you're seeing a part here, and it's only a small part because there are in fact over 400 drawings from this source. They come from an Italian called Cristiano Lovatelli Raverino, or rather from an Anglo-Italian, because Cristiano, uh, though uh, the Raverinos are uh, one of the oldest families in Rome, um, is uh, very Americanized, speaks perfect English. He and Francis encountered one another for the first time at a party at the Villa Medici, uh, that is the French Cultural Institute in Rome. And I think it was the farewell party for Baltus, who was then the director. Uh, Francis had a powerful personality. Cristiano was a handsome young man, not specifically homosexual. Um, they, he, Cristiano, was fascinated by this genius figure. And I think for real reason, because all the evidence is that Francis was a mesmeric personality, whatever you thought of him. Uh, and I think what Francis saw in Cristiano were several things. First of all, he saw an opportunity to renew his own youth. 
He didn't speak good Italian. It gave him, with a young companion of this kind, savvy companion, he could ramble around, amuse himself. He always had somebody who could speak the language and who spoke his own language uh, perfectly. So Francis, by that time, was a very celebrated figure in London. He was the king of the Colony Club. He had a great circle of courtiers of the Yes Francis, No Francis, Barsa Drink Francis, Blender Some Money Francis, Barati. And while in theory he liked this, I thought, I think in practice, he probably found it quite oppressive. Running away to Italy uh, to misbehave with Cristiano gave him an opportunity to escape. Um, I also think, uh, from uh, some of the things I've been told, uh, that he found his relationship with his gallery oppressive. He thought that they were too controlling, his gallery being the Marlborough. And running away and making a body of work which the gallery didn't control, I think also had a real attraction. I suspect that, I can't prove it. Uh, but I think the other thing is uh, that um, what you are seeing here, all around you, they come from the late period of Francis's life, the last 10 years, and they recapitulate themes which had meant much to him earlier on. When Francis was asked about the pictures which made him famous, i.e. the popes, uh, he was always very iffy about them, if you, if you look up what he said. Uh, this was another subject on which he said, well, he always said he didn't, didn't quite think, uh, they didn't think he would He didn't actually like people saying, Francis, they're your best work, they're your, your signature works, all this kind of thing. It made him extremely uneasy. Uh, and I think what you are also seeing here is what, uh, in art historical terms, could be called a series of repentances. That is, he'd made his career. He was no longer in fin financial jeopardy. The jeopardy, sense of jeopardy, seems to have kept him alive. The gambling parties, all that kind of thing. Uh, so he was, in making these drawings, questioning himself. Had I d have I done the right thing? Could I have done it differently? All of this kind of thing. Uh, but there is also a, a further element in this. Um, let's go back a bit. We ha I think one has to accept that, like many very famous artists, Francis Bacon was not really a very nice man. Um, there are too many stories for example, about the way in which he behaved to his unfortunate working-class ex-burglar lover, George Dyer, who eventually committed suicide on the eve of Francis's first great ex museum exhibition in Paris. Well, I have one has uh, descriptions in print from the one-time critic of art critic of, 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 the, of, of the Sunday Times, John Russell, of them drinking together in New York. New York. Um, Russell and his companion 
Francis and Daya and how abominably Francis behaved throughout. Um, in a bar, saying, shoving, Daya trying to be the gentleman, trying to be the facilitator, going to buy everybody drinks. Francis pushing me aside at the bar and saying, oh, pay no attention to her. She's got no money. A lovely character? No, I don't think so. Uh, well, this, you have to accept that great artists are not always nice or lovable people. And I think Francis forms into quite a well-known category, a category to which one might say uh, Michelangelo Caravaggio also belonged. Would I have wanted to know Caravaggio in his lifetime? No, thank you very much. Uh, so, from, but from that point of view, you also have to see uh, the struggle of the human being, even the not very nice human being, uh, to realize himself and to grapple with this, I will now say, gift, uh, which he has been endowed with. It's well known uh, that one of the paradoxes which people will immediately detect in this exhibition, the fact is that Francis was a militant atheist. Um, uh, and it's always been a great point of irony that having run off to Madrid, knowing that he hadn't got much longer to go, uh, trying to get back his last lover, who was by no means working class, who was a, who was a Spanish banker, um, Francis fell ill in Madrid and was looked after by, wait for it, nuns. He died on his deathbed, he was being looked after by nuns. And when he died, he left his mortal remains to science. There's no grave. Everything was chopped up and used to hopefully provide cures for other people. There is no element of Francis left on this earth, not even ashes, except for the works of art. Well, what was Francis trying to struggle with? Not only, I think, his sense of inadequacy as an artist and his sense of inadequacy, perhaps, as a human being, but also with the threatening uh, idea of the divine. And that came to him from a very powerful source. When we look at the history of Western art, a large part of that history and a very important part of that history consists of very specifically Christian images. Michelangelo, yes. Raphael, yes. Tintoretto, yes. Um, all of that is, resonates with any artist of ambition. It resonates with any artist of cultivation. The one thing you have to say about Francis is that though he was uneducated as an artist, untrained, um, he was, had a very wide range of cultural reference. He wasn't locked up in the studio. He was aware of works of art, though sometimes, indeed, he uh, pretended that he hadn't actually seen them in the flesh when he had, I say, in the flesh. 
uh, I'm reminded to tell you here that I had a recent uh, email from uh, the owner of these drawings, Cristiano, in which he told me that after their meeting, their first meeting um, in the, at the Villa Medici, uh, they shortly afterwards went together to see the famous Velasquez, Pope Innocent X, which is, of course, the source of the primary source of all a number of the pictures you see here. Francis always denied that he had ever seen that picture, except in photographs. Cristiano is the witness, and I believe him, that they stood in front of it together. Well, why did he deny this? I think he was always running away from the fact that religious painting, when it works, religious works of art, when they work, bring us face to face with ideas, emotions, and verities which we may not want to confront. Uh, a screaming crucified, yes. Why? What does it tell us? Well, it tells us something both about the horror of acqui of not having religion at all and also of the horror which part of the Christian story can actually induce. It's a story, after all, uh, which concludes with a man being tortured to death by the government at the time. Uh, I think all of those things reverberate in these reconsiderations, that you don't have to believe in the conventional sense uh, to be troubled by the idea of religion and its images and of what it has to tell us about our own natures. I think, for me, as a critic, that is exactly what Francis was uh, examining in the images you see here. He was both torturing himself with questions of, suppose it's true, and torturing himself with questions about why does it stick with me? Why does it torture me? Uh, I think that these are, in a way, cries from the void. Uh, they are endeavoring, in a very 20th century way, a man who is endeavoring to use art to plunge into the depths of his own nature. One of the I think, striking things about the art I'm seeing now as a working critic, and one of the ways in which it has altered drastically, uh, is that it's more and more autobiographical. And more and more, during the last 10 years or so, specifically autobiographical. Rembrandt made a number of self-portraits there are artists now, uh, Georg Baselitz being one of them, who seem to make almost nothing but self-portraits over and over again. And he's not the only one. Well, I think Francis did a little better than that. 
by taking up these images, which are so extremely specific to our culture, so much we can't deny, even if we're not religious, or even if we have a different religion, how much the culture has been formed by the kind of images you see here. Well, they're a re-examination of what that means. And I think by choosing to make them in what one might describe as a lightweight medium, drawings, things on paper, potentially ephemeral, and to do them over and over again. The artist was asking himself questions which in a way he didn't want to answer, and in a way he did. And I find that an extremely moving spectacle, and I hope you may do so too. Thank you.